You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Bryony Arkle. Bryony is a former professional netball player and a now coach. She played for the New South Wales Swifts in the Australian Super Netball League and was part of their premiership teams in 2001 and 2004. After retiring, she transitioned into coaching and progressed through roles with junior and senior representative sides. In 2016, she became head coach of the Netball New South Wales Waratahs and led them to the Australian Netball League Grand Final. This result led to her appointment as head coach of her old club, the Swifts, in 2018. In her second season, the Swifts won the championship and Bryony was awarded the Coach of the Year. We recorded this interview at the start of the 2021 season and now the team is about to enter the final series where they hope to emulate their 2019 championship. Bryony is a calm and empowering coach, the type of person who is able to both develop the confidence and resilience of individuals and at the same time shape the type of team that thrives under pressure. She is a caring and insightful coach who is in tune with the issues that both propel and hamper high performance, and the type of coach you would hope your own children can experience one day. 
There are many highlights in this interview, but the key ones that resonated with me afterwards were her view that great coaches take a holistic approach and know the athlete both on and off the court. And this allows them to understand what motivates the person and also what holds them back. Her use of role plays to prepare her team for the difficult conversations needed to build both team cohesion and to address issues with self-doubt and confidence. And wanting to leave a legacy where female participation in sport grows by addressing body image and confidence issues in young women. This was a terrific discussion with a coach who I have no doubt will one day be leading her country. And I hope you enjoy it as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning, Bryony Arkell, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, it's a bit of a dull Sydney day here today. So yeah, it's great talking to you. So you're in Sydney and what have you been up to so far today? Some uh, goals and fun stuff like that for the Swiss for next year. I've done a bit of housework, I've cleaning, probably more housework than my actual job, but that's okay. Well, we're happy to take a little bit of your time away from the housework and to talk about all things netball and coaching. Jim and I have daughters and we are both looking forward to coaching netball one day ourselves. So very much looking forward to this discussion. And if I could, I'd like to start by taking you back a little bit. Bryony, you've had some firsthand experience with some great coaches, Lisa Alexander, Julie Fitzgerald, and of course, Trent Robinson through your work with the Sydney Roosters. I'd like to start by asking, what is it you think the great coaches do differently? It's a great question and one that I think I search for a sort of an answer all the time. It's been fantastic in my coaching career to be able to have access to people like Julie, who obviously was my coach when I played for the Swifts. So I've had that relationship with her for a long time. But being around someone like Trent Robinson, who is a bit of a different coach, he's really knowledgeable in terms of worldly stuff, not just sport. And I love that. He sort of brings in, you know, the history of war back into sports and relates things like that. Sort of crazy concept that you wouldn't think he would relate to the Roosters, but he does. But those sort of coaches, I think, have taught me that it's not just about coaching an athlete per se on the field or on a netball court, but more to the point of being a holistic coach, which to me probably means knowing the athlete inside and out, not just on the court. So what's important to them, what makes them tick, what drives them, why they even want to play netball, like finding out those sort of things. So I think once you know how an athlete ticks, you can definitely get the best out of them. And being around different coaches and their different styles, you sort of learn to take bits of those great learnings and and put them into your own coaching. So I think great coaches probably embrace difference in their environment. And I probably quickly learned when I started coaching at the Swifts that I probably had a really great focus on getting to know my girls in my environment. Every netballer can probably have the same skill set, but for me it's probably digging a bit deeper, asking lots of questions and you know, about how did they grow up? How were they disciplined when they were younger? Did they have siblings? Did they, you know, all those sort of things that you don't think really relates to anything that I do on a netball court, but it's absolutely brought my team together in terms of if someone's not perfect, why aren't they perfect? Well, I know their background and what's been important to them. And yeah, I I just think embracing different, especially high performance sport like ours, where I've got different people from different nationalities, different countries, different states, 
And I think great coaches learn to work with those differences and really work them into into your training sessions, into your off-quarters as a team. So really important to get to know your people inside and out, what makes them tick. And a great coach just surround themselves with really good people. And I don't mean just the players, but I have a really great, we call them a performance team. So that's obviously my assistant coach, our strength and conditioner, our sports psych. And I really believe that you have to embrace those strengths and not think that you've got the answers as head coach, that you can run every single part of that. So I don't micromanage. I um, very much let them do their thing and embrace them to have the confidence to be able to, you know, instill what we need into the Swift's environment. In preparation for today, I was reading a lot about you and, you know, the articles say credited with creating a family-like mentality in the locker room and all these kind of great statements. And then I watch a video on Facebook uh, when you're in the hub up in Queensland and you've got the team in your lounge room, there's a dinner party, the team singing happy birthday to your son. So I could see the words actually coming through. But when you talk about being close to the players, and yeah. understanding them and, cre- and creating this family-like environment, but isn't there a danger that you can get too close to the players? How do you balance being close to them, but also being able to stand back and hold the line and be disciplined and make the tough calls? It is a really good question. It's probably one of the most popular questions that get asked to me, but I think it's, it absolutely depends on the group that you have in front of you. And the group that I have at the Swifts, as I said, come from the other side of the world. They come from the other side of Australia. So most of these athletes don't have parents around them. They don't have their family units around them. So When I took this role, it was probably my husband is part of the reason why this works as well. Might sound a bit weird, but we joke around with the team that I'll say, would you like to come for dinner? And their response to me is, well, are you cooking? And I'll be like, well, no. And they're like, well, Sark, my husband is cooking. They're like, we'll be there in a flash. So it's sort of this team effort. They come over for dinner because obviously they don't have their parents here to cook for them. So any free meal, they come along to my house. I think for them having a sense of family and a sense of normality, because most of them live together, they train together and just coming into a a normal household with four crazy kids and getting a home cooked meal has really put us in a good stead in terms of that connection. And an example of that was in finals last we had lost the semi-final and my husband had time for a family dinner. We had, and they came over for dinner I think on the Thursday night. We put on the same vibe for us as a unit, knowing that we've connected. Yeah, we've done all the stuff off the court, but that connection is really important and it sort of harps back to the fact of how will I know them. Good question about when you know. I think I've been described as a mama bear that has her cubs around and knows when to scold them or say uh, get back into lines. So my team very much know when I put that mother voice on that I'm not happy or the outcome needs to be a little bit different. So very much like parenting and sort of setting boundaries and they know when it's time to work hard and we also play hard. So, yeah, I think it's just knowing each other, them having the respect for me and I've got the respect for them. I've read articles where you've said you always wanted to be a coach. What do you like most about it? Oh, there's lots. I think what I love is interacting with these really intelligent, great athletes that challenge me just as much as I challenge them. I think having a problem and trying to solve it in terms of an opposition and when something comes off and you game plan works or just one little piece of instruction to the athlete works and they implement that and success comes from it. I think that's what drives me every day to be a coach. I'm a people person. I love people and I definitely, I always coached even when I was 14, 15. So although I played at a high 
high level, I wasn't the best player, but I always could out-strategize in my mind against an opposition. And I think those little victories and that competitiveness in me definitely drove me to keep coaching whilst I played and pursue the coaching role. I would probably just challenge you on not being the best player. You did play in a championship team in the National League. That's a pretty good outcome, Ryan. But anyway, <laughs> I wanted to ask. Yeah, I did. But anyway. Was there a person or event? I mean, you said you were coaching as a teenager. Was there any person or sort of gave you the courage to step up and be a coach first time? The first team I coached, I coached with my best friend, Bonnie, and we both sort of thought it would be great fun to take a team of 10-year-olds and implement what we knew to them and have some fun. So I'll probably just stem from the fact that it was a challenge for my best friend and I to sort of coach younger kids and would quite surprise people that we were going back and giving back to the sport. So I think same thing, just watching them grow as little people and get better each week and whilst having fun with my best friend was the ultimate. So I think there wasn't probably a specific moment, but I think that definitely coaching with a friend and seeing how much fun you could have with a bunch of great girls was, yeah, what's probably what set me on that vision for coaching. Laura Geitz was, for those that don't know, is one of the great captains of this of Australian netball team. And she said of you, she's so calm and I like the way she empowers her players. How would you describe your coaching style to someone who's meeting you for the first time? Ah, oh, that's another good question. Coaching style. I think sometimes I look really calm, but I'm probably like a duck underwater, just trying to survive under the moment. But I think for me, my coaching style is probably creating an environment where the athlete has just as much say as what I'm trying to help them with. I learned pretty quick that if you didn't listen, you must listen a lot when you're coaching, not just sort of thinking you're the one with the directive and the answers. And I think my philosophy is, is I gain their feedback and their buy-in by asking lots of questions around, do you think this is going to work against this player or what's the best strategy that we can both go in with? Because there is nothing worse than coaching someone that they do all the right things and they nod their head like they understand everything, but it doesn't follow through onto the Court. So definitely listening, gaining their trust by actually implementing. If it doesn't work, who cares? At the end of the day, it's a game and we always say that. that we just how amazing we get to turn up every day and throw a little white ball around. So I think for me, the atmosphere has got to be good. You've got to play for that little girl that you started playing for when you were eight years old. And that's really important in my philosophy that everything we do at the end of the day, we've got to enjoy it because we're there for hours. We're probably with each other more than with our own families at times. So yeah, I, I think setting boundaries and knowing when the right time is to, you know, get stuck into them is the key because I don't think anyone, especially at our level, you know if you've stuffed up, you know if you've done something wrong, you don't necessarily need a finger pointed at you and basically scolded. So, yeah, just creating a really great positive environment to learn. Premiership player, coach from a very young age, and then you work your way along coaching underage teams and progressing and moving forward with your career. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, you take over the Swifts. And in that first season, they finish sixth. But the following year, you win the premiership. And so I wanted to ask you, what were some of the first things you did when you took over that fueled that result? I think I wasn't sure if I was ready to coach at that level, but I knew what had to be done to win. And obviously, Obviously, having played, winning those two premierships, I knew what it took. Just walked in, I have a choice about I'd listen a lot and not necessarily just come in and change the world because the Swiss have a great winning legacy and I knew they're a young team and I had to set a very clear vision of what it looked like for this team and a path of how to get 
get there. So having clear direction and having small goals along the way that we would basically off the back of coming six. What did that mean for us? And I think we were really happy coming six in that first year because I think we'd won double the amount of games than they had the year before. So we'd set that little milestone, oh, we've just missed out on the finals. But we had to redefine what good looked like in our environment and what we wanted to turn up like every day. And I'd say to them, I'd pull them in after a training session or just in, in the middle of one drill. So I'd say, so does that look like a championship team? Is that how a championship team trains? So, and it could have been good. It could have looked great to the untrained eye, but demanding excellence all the time with this team and drilling into them that even though we're young, why are we going to listen to that rhetoric of people telling us that you probably won't win a premiership for another two or three years? So when I came in, I was like, no, change your language and the language that you use every day that filters down the line into the playing group. We lived positive energy and positive words. So I think one of the mantras, well, why can't we do it this year? Why can't it be us in 2019 standing on that podium? What, what are we waiting for? So I gave them that confidence, even just to individual players, to say, why can't you be the world's best shooter? What's stopping you? And you could sort of see her body language just grow in terms of, well, no one's ever asked me. So just questioning players around their own ability and me giving them the confidence to sort of, let's go do this. Let's chase it this year. Wait two years. I couldn't get that mentality of judgment from others and them listening to that and then playing like that. I think another good thing within this playing group was sort of learning how to have hard conversations. And I think that was a big thing for us moving forward of if I tell you something, don't take it personally. We're a netball team that needs the same common drive and the same goal. So we had a lot of role plays and just having hard conversations around someone saying something to you on a netball court. Why did you pass the ball like that? It could be the most simple thing that I think people at this level who a lot of them have high egos and high expectations. So we sort of changed the language and really tried to sort of say, well, if I'm giving you feedback, it's probably harder for me to give it than for you to receive it. So for us, it was, I think that changed our world in the Swiss camp and that no conversation was hard. It was just a conversation and we just wanted to be better than we were yesterday. So, yeah, I think it's really important that you have a vision for your team or your whoever you lead and back that with a really good how-to. I think a lot of people just wish for things to happen, but I had to give them those skills and instill that confidence in them that I knew that they could be world's best and I knew that we could win the Suncorp Super Netball. So, yeah, I think it was definitely just a change in mentality, a change in language, even how we stood at training. How do champions stand? Do they stand with their shoulders high? Do they get over if you make a mistake, how quickly you get over that and move on and not dwell in those situations? So all really good coachable moment and giving feedback in the moment, I think really helped this playing group to achieve that championship that year. Bryony, one of the things that comes through in all of these conversations is that elite teams have elite ways of giving and receiving feedback. It just seems to be a habit or a a routine that they've embedded into their team. Could I just ask you a little bit more about those role plays that you talked about? And could you just maybe just give us an example of how they played out? Because I think it's actually a really strong idea. We have a terrific guy that sort of helps us with our culture and sort of 
his name's Andrew, and he started these role plays and putting us in uncomfortable positions. So other mantra was being comfortable in the uncomfortable, which you hear lots of coaches talk about. But we had one player that definitely thought she could never speak in front of people. So each of the girls, I'll just take it a step back, everyone had a topic that you had to talk for four minutes, I think it was, which is a long time. And the whole idea was that I would get up, if it was me, I would get up and speak and the girls couldn't start with oh, you were amazing, that was the best speech, and only give positives. So they actually had to say, thank you for giving that speech. I found it a tad boring in parts, but I think you could do this to improve it. And you couldn't say, because our girls are people pleasers, they love being liked. So those sort of conversations were really hard, but the more each, we had 10, 12 girls do it, by the 12th, they were ruthless and it became easy that we knew the feedback was coming from a place of love and not fear and anger and you're only trying to say this to me because you don't like me or everyone walked away as friends. But the second part to that, one of our players, Sarah, who hates public speaking, started off great. She probably spoke for a minute and then just decided that what she was saying is probably boring to everyone and she just stopped. So our team would normally step in with laughter or try and save her. This time they weren't allowed to do that. They just had to sit in silence and let her decide if she'd continue. So I reckon it probably took 17 minutes to do like a four-minute speech, but we didn't save her. So we still gave her the gave her the feedback and hers was a bit different because I thought we felt quite emotional that she stood up and finished the speech because she was so petrified of public speaking. But we kept doing those sort of role plays and giving feedback when it's really uncomfortable and learning that, as I said, it's much harder for me to give you feedback than for you to hear it. So yeah, constant little things like that, that I think definitely have helped us. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I read an article in the press that said, respect, accountability, love, and freedom underpinned a successful Suncorp super netball campaign for the Swifts in 2019. So I'd like to firstly ask whether these were in fact, the team values. And if they were, if you could talk to me a little bit more about love and freedom. Yeah, you've done your homework. Wow. They're not exactly our values. I think when I came in as well, I sort of, when you walk into someone's business and you see their mission statement and I just sort of read that stuff and go blah, 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 because you probably don't know it and you probably never read it again. So our team wanted to come up with values or words that meant really meant something personal to us. So we have one of our words is honest me. Honest me goes back to having those hard conversations. The girls just made that word up, by the way. 
So whenever we have hard conversations, it's about performance and about being accountable for your actions. So when we're having these discussions every day, we live that word. We speak that language every day. And I I might start a really hard conversation going, well, in the theme of Honest Me, we're going to have this chat today. And that already sort of breaks down a barrier of a hard conversation. And the girls love it because they use it with each other. We probably joke about it sometimes, but having that sort of word, another word is being grateful for the journey that we're on together and playing, as I said before, for for the 10-year-old self. And if you're not doing that, you're not enjoying that. And I think people, that comes across when you're doing any job, right? You can tell if you go to the shop and people hate their job and they don't say hello and customer service is terrible. So Sandpit, another one is flood, which is refers to emotion and listening and having respect. And flood means tears. It means happiness, whatever interpretation you want from the word flood. So, but more dealing with emotion and respecting each other's emotions and living in that environment 24-7, especially under pressure. I don't think many jobs are out there to be scrutinised every time you play and there's a review of how everyone played. So, yeah, so Honest Me, Flood and Sandpit are our, our words in Swifts. The love and freedom, that's come from that feedback and that everything we do and in every challenge that we have or hard situation is I could say, well, in terms of practising or just there's things like that. It's basically everything is coming from a good place in our team, whether it's from the athlete to athlete, the coaching staff to the athletes and vice versa. It's having that respect that I'm saying this for the good of our team and for you. And it's not coming from a bad place. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to bully you or anything. Any of those negative words that sort of come along with certain situations. So the the team speaks that language too, which I love that they will, if they're doing an interview, I, I quite often hear the players sort of say that we've embraced this commentary around communicating with each other and to be yourself and that you're unique. And I think we have a team, at least half my team are perfectionists. So that's pretty hard. And I sort of, I've just trying, I've been trying to get rid of that mantra around perfectionism and that because perfection doesn't really, it doesn't exist really. That That's in my opinion, you work towards being great, but if you striving for that perfectionism, what comes out of it? What constitutes a great game for a player or if my feedback and if you've got players that are always striving what wasn't good enough, you are good enough as a person. So value you first. We say that a lot at the Swifts and our also is you are enough, just those words. So I think it's really important when you get a team together that have probably been the best in their sport all the way along a pathway. They're the best at school. Lots of them are because they strive to be the best in every aspect of their life. So I think having that freedom to be you, I think is it allows for you to grow in an environment that must, who cares if you make a mistake and mistakes bring learning moments and learning moments bring new new ideas and new way to do things. Bryony, I just want to go back. You said something fascinating in the answer there and it's fascinating because it talks to resilience and I'd like to just ask you a little bit more about when you talked about the words on the wall saying you're enough. Could you explain to us where that came from? Yeah, absolutely. So it basically came down to 
we sort of realized really quickly when we were giving feedback or I might say to an athlete, I thought you had a great game today. And every single time they come up, no, no, I don't think so. No. Like it was this constant negative pushback around performance. And we have a lot of people that come into the Swiss environment. And, and I love that with different learnings and different values and different words and whatever we take from that. And I, I think I've done a lot of reading into that resilient I read it somewhere, I don't know where it was, but you are enough. And it sort of summed up my team perfectly because they were always striving for that perfection and that perfect performance. And I'm like, well, what is perfect? You played the best that you could on that day. And to me, that's what's important. So just checking in with them. I could be in the middle of a game and someone just shakes their head at me and goes, no, I'm not, I'm not good today. And I'll go, you are enough. You as a person are enough. So we all have people that we go home to and that love us. And as if you don't perform well every single week, but you've got another opportunity next week. So just building that mental toughness and that self-esteem piece, if you don't believe in yourself, then who else is going to do that for you? And, and that's probably really important in any aspect of life. And I say that to my kids as well, that you've got to build yourself up and ask for help when it's needed. And that's obviously where my coaching comes into it with my team. But yeah, I think it's a super powerful just one-liner to say, you're okay, no matter the outcome, we'll be fine. Bryony, you're a premiership coach, premiership player, you're a mother to four boys. And you, again, when I was researching and preparing for today, I read some fascinating views on the fact that sometimes in children's sport, particularly in your part of the world, in New South Wales and Mm -hmm. Australia, Mm -hmm. they don't put scores up on the board. They deny kids Mm -hmm. that opportunity. And you had some very strong views on that and the role of the scoreboard in helping people build skills in handling adversity. Could you explain a little bit to us the situation and your yeah. view on the scoreboard? Yeah, so I was approached by one of the, the papers in Sydney who were doing a piece on, I think they'd only just discovered that under 12s still didn't play semifinals or play for points and, oh, yeah, I'll talk about this. My kids play soccer and that you can't, there's no score sheet. I'm like, what do you mean there's no score sheet? Like you, you play a game with a, an aim of getting higher points instead of someone. So definitely believe that 12 years old, I'm like, what? That's crazy. Like, of course they know the score. They keep the score in their head. So I just think if you don't have that scoreboard, not everything's roses and not everything's perfect. And losing probably teaches you more than winning does. And, you know, I see, I see a lot of kids, I spend a lot of Saturdays at soccer. There's no netball, but there's definitely a lot of soccer and cricket. And it always blows me away that that we have this rule here in Sydney. So to be able to win gracefully, lose gracefully, there's so many learning moments for kids that winning and losing teaches you. And if you don't have that, like, I, I just think it's crazy, crazy. So yeah, you've got to be able to handle walking away. If there's a better team on the day, there's a better team on the day. Practice harder. So there's so many life learnings in that, that yeah. What do you, what do you do if you don't, you move forward to high school and just so many things I think is crazy that you don't have a score and there's no winner and losers because they don't think they know it. Yeah, crazy. I don't know if it's like that in your part of the world now, but it's definitely here and we're trying to change it. I mean, I think in Central and Eastern Europe, they are a little bit harder for when they coach yeah. kids. It's a little bit more direct. Yeah. I think it goes back to communist times. And I'm talking to my friends at work. There is nobody who doesn't have a scoreboard. But what was interesting in that article was Ruth Anderson, who's twice been the psychologist for the Australian Olympic team, she was supporting you. And she said she can't find any peer-reviewed research that suggests taking the score away on from the scoreboard 
is helping. So I thought it was a very strong thought. And I think it also ties into this philosophy you've got around helping athletes build resilience, which is such an important skill for all of us to develop these days with everything that's going on around us. Yeah, absolutely. And especially all of us in this crazy time of COVID, like life has changed and the way we did things, even throughout you know, the period where we were supposed to be preparing for a competition that we didn't know was going ahead. So every part of life sort of leads you to different places and choices and how you handle different situations. And yeah, I think it's, again, the language and the the mindset that you have in different situations, whether good or bad, and definitely learning those skills early is definitely a great thing. And there can be tears, whatever the situation, tears of happiness, whatever, but I think it's how you handle and handle yourself in those situations. Bryony, you've got a great captain at the Swifts, Maddie Proud. She's very articulate. She's a great player. She's very courageous. And I'm wondering what advice you have for other coaches when it comes time to choosing a captain. Yeah, good question. I think we've done it a few different ways at the Swifts and Maddie is, we have Maddie Proud and we have Paige Hadley, who is the vice captain. So they form our leadership group at the New South Wales Swifts and they're both very different. And as you said, Maddie Proud is very articulate, very comfortable with the media, very comfortable with talking and is a leader in a different way compared to Paigey. And Paigey is not that person that loves the media. She's good at it, but, you know, obviously doesn't love it. Her actions on court and her training and her work ethic are what makes her great. And I think choosing the leadership group at the Swifts, we we basically had a, a weekend of really sort of hard yakka different situations and on and off the court, throwing them in uncomfortable situations. And we basically decided that we would observe. I think what you need to know within your own group, what do you want from your leaders? What do you need from your leadership group? What do you as a coach bring to the group as as a leader and how you complement each other. And I definitely think you need to have someone that has bought into what you're trying to achieve at the organisation. And Maddie was one of those people that she she got voted in, right? We, we did a vote system here at the Swifts. That may change in the future, who knows? But it worked for us and it probably backed up what we had as coaching or as our performance team had thought of her leadership. And she's constantly learning in her leadership role and that's probably what I love. I don't think you pick the loudest person all the time and I think that's probably some people just choose the person that's the loudest, the funniest, the most popular. But I think at the Swifts, we've got a really lovely combination of Maddie, who is is that fun person, who is a great communicator and works beautifully with Paigey, who is hard worker through her actions, not necessarily her voice. So I think it's really important that your players or your work group do have a say in leadership because I don't think there's, it doesn't work well if the group hasn't got that same buy-in. And we definitely did a lot of those tasks to make sure that Maddie was the right fit for the leadership. And in saying that, the Swifts have got some really great great leaders that have come before us, like Liz Ellis and Kath Cox, who have gone to have great careers in the media and have left a great legacy. So I'm probably trying to instill that in them, that what's come before us, what was their legacy as a leaders? And, you know, obviously they both went on to Captain Australia. So yeah, learning from the past and learning, learning new ways of doing things every day, I think is super important in leadership. Ronnie, netball's been a pace setter for women's sport for a long, long time. But female participation in sport is still lagging behind males at the junior level. So I'd like to ask you, what can coaches do to encourage more female participation? 
I've thought about this question and I've sort of tried to translate it to my boys and why they love playing the sport. And I think well, most girls start out playing because mum and dad enrolled them and then they have fun doing what they do. It doesn't matter if it's netball, tennis, gymnastics, whatever sport that is. And I think there's a couple of reasons why they pull out. And I think it's it's interesting even through COVID that we noticed that we were sort of saying here in Australia that we had to get junior sport back up and running, especially for that 14 15 age group because there there was a thought that those girls especially would not go back to sport after that if they just gave up for whatever reason and I think you've got to maybe not everyone plays obviously to win a premiership people love to play just to be with their friends and and have great fun and keep fit and I think reinforcing that it's not all about winning and it's why we do an activity at all so I think for me it's really important that an emphasis is is just on participation and staying healthy and another thing for me I think it is body image is definitely an issue I think once I know netball's spoken about the attire that girls wear and that some girls don't want to wear skimpy little netball uniforms so that puts them off they don't play sport again so I think it's just being a bit more creative of what that looks like and if we want girls to keep playing sport having positive body images of you know girls that you may not look like every girl from the Swiss because they train seven days a week but who cares the fact that you're out there having a go and encouraging everyone to have a go I think is super important so having a different range of role models is really important in sport and especially female sport because I've worked in rugby league as well and seen the impact that rugby league players have on boys and they're their idols and I'd really love to see women embracing that as well for really strong, confident female mentors in, in girls' lives. And I think with the introduction of not only, you know, professional cricket here and AFL, there's a much broader choice for girls to get involved and stay involved, and especially if it's playing, if it's a, being a coach, umpire, running a club. I think just encouraging that every facet of sport that you can get involved in is, is super important to keep people involved and especially just like I did when I was 13 or 14, if I didn't want to keep playing, I, I could have just kept coaching, right, and not played. So different opportunities for different people and and having getting out in the media and showing what fantastic role models that these female cricketers, netballers, basketballers, whatever sport, and I think there just needs to be shone in the light their male counterparts are. Bryony, you've got such positive energy and such great body language, which you've talked a lot about in this interview. If I could wind the clock back and take you back to to talk to that 13, 14-year-old who was first coaching those under 10s, mm-hmm. what advice would you give her? Oh, great question. Advice I'd give her? Probably just to see, don't sweat the small stuff in terms of worrying about things. I think when I was that 13-year-old kid, I, I probably just like probably say to my boys about what it means to be successful. Success is different, right? And might, we might not have won any games. I don't even remember if we'd won games as coaches back then. But the fact that why we were there and to keep the enjoyment in anything that you do. And that's probably something that I would say to my 13-year-old self that don't stress about the small stuff. Like life's great, right? We're playing sport, we're going to school, probably a bit different now with social media. I feel sorry for kids of this generation with social media, but I just think the little things in life are the good things and to have fun with your friends and, and life is good. Probably one last question then. You are very still very early in your coaching career. Almost yeah. went back-to-back premiership this year, got very close, yeah. didn't quite get there, which gives you the goal <laughs> no. to go forward. And I read that you said that you weren't interested in the Australian job 
at this time. So there's still a lot ahead of you from a coaching point of view. So I do feel a little strange asking this question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, because you did start coaching at such a young age. So what's the legacy you think you've left so far as a coach? I've probably gone back to the past with the Swifts. So I've tried to teach these girls, and it could be any environment, but especially in the Swifts environment, to have the respect and the knowledge of what's come before you. So I've very much instilled the belonging in that community and that you're actually not playing for yourself. You're actually playing for the red dress. We call it the red dress. And that every day that we're in public, every day that you're on TV or you go and coach a 10-year-old, that when you wear that red dress, what does that mean? And it's being proud about even wearing the red dress. And I think I've probably reinstalled that. We have really good, I'm surrounded by great people. My team are amazing. I love being around them. As long as each of us are getting better and I'm better than I was yesterday in coaching. And the Swiss let me know that, by the way, it it goes two ways. Yeah. I just think a great environment that people want to turn up to work day in, day out, and they want to come. So we may not have got the premiership this year, but yeah, I'm already excited about what the future holds. And I love sport and I love the club. I love the people I'm surrounded with. So yeah, probably leaving the red dress in a better place. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to jump back in and challenge you. Okay. I think you're also leaving a legacy where you're building confidence and a sense of belief in your athletes. And I get the impression that that little ripple that you're creating, just as you played for the Swifts and now the, the coach, I've got a feeling that that might be something that your players talk about as well in years to come. But I could oh, be wrong. That would be lovely if they did. Thank you. That would be lovely. I hope so. Ryan Arkel, it's been wonderful chatting with you this morning. I wish you all the best for the off-season. Hope you get some, some rest after juggling family life and coaching up in the bubble. And I look forward to watching on from afar next year as the, the Swifts in the red dress, hopefully, go all the way and win the premiership. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Bryony Arkel. The key highlights for me were... Her coaching style that empowers the players to have as much say as she does, but how this is matched with the expectation that athletes focus on fun and enjoyment, and in her words, play for that little girl that you were when you started playing as an eight-year-old. Her focus on positive reinforcement and why this is so important in building the confidence in her athletes who can be distracted by the focus on perfection, and the description she gives of her team values being honest me, sandpit, and flood. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with the great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.